On this week's St. Victory Pod, with no baseball or NFL games, Victor and I attempt to talk sports, but I slowly lose my mind. Things start normal enough with our top 30 shortstop MLB rankings, but then we turn the corner to the NFL and things get emotional. I pour out my heart to Tom Brady, which ultimately does me in because by the time we get to our NFL Pro Bowl fantasy competition, I sort of uh, uh, hate to admit it, but I accidentally end up drafting a you know a player who's uh, in the Super Bowl and not the Pro Bowl. So, with that being said, for Victor only this week, sound those victory trumpets. get started uh we're gonna try and knock this out uh, a little quick today because we have other commitments believe it or not we both have lives here so we're gonna try and knock this out in an hour we got some stuff planned for you today but luckily it's kind of a down week in sports you would say we got the we got the pro bowl this week so kind of an off week for the nfl sorry nfl but i don't really care that much about the pro bowl we will try and care about it though we're gonna play a little fantasy game later But before we get to that, another one of our fantasy football games, Victor, you are still leading our uh, inaugural St. Victory playoff challenge. There's 24 other entries and you are leading by nine points. So my question is simple. Do you think you will win for the people who don't know? Victor is up by uh, nine points. As I just said, he has Cooper Cup, but everyone has Cooper Cup. So what it's really going to come down to is he has Joe Mixon as his Bengals representative, while the person in second nine points behind him has Chase. Do you think that Chase can overcome those nine points? Uh, So the first round of the playoffs, I think Chase did outscore Mixon by more than nine. So it's certainly possible, but I think... I feel fairly comfortable. I think uh, we're going to have to get to the game and uh, Mixon will have to do pretty poorly for me to get nervous. You know, Mixon's been doing well, but I I should mention, you know, so we've been talking about my wife's entry a lot. She's been doing really well. She kind of fell back this week. It kind of all blew up in her face because she was the one entry that didn't pick Cooper Cup Cup. I mean, I shouldn't say finally has his big game. He's been having big games the whole playoffs, but this this is the round that really did some damage to her, but she has Evan McPherson as her Bengals representative. He has outscored, or maybe he's like tied with Mixon. They're like neck and neck in total points in this playoffs. And that's ridiculous. Mixon's not even playing bad. McPherson has just been that incredible. Indeed. Mixon, his rushing average is pretty, pretty bad from what I could see, but he's gotten plenty of catches. I think he scored against the Titans. All right. Well, I'll move on, keeping us on pace here. I want to talk about one other thing before we kind of get into what we have planned today. And so I just really want to ask you, are you starting to get a little nervous about the MLB starting on time? Just before we clicked record, Passon sent out this this tweet, Jeff Passon, if you don't know, he said the meeting between the Major League Baseball Players Association and MLB is over. They met today, if you don't know. Little progress was made. That's not shocking. The on-time opening of spring training at this point is in grave danger and, frankly, would take a miraculous deal coming together to rescue. A delay feels inevitable. So I'm not really interested in will spring training get delayed, Victor, but do you think this starts to put the season itself in jeopardy? Yeah, I think I, I don't think we could start worrying about that until we're two or three weeks into February. Uh, obviously these types of negotiations, they can move quickly if someone 
uh, gives on a specific issue. Uh, so you, you never know. There could be a lot of progress in a short amount of time. So similar to how 2020, they didn't talk for seemingly forever. And then they were able to come up with the season in like a week or something. So I'm not nervous yet, but it's getting to that time where pitchers and catchers were supposed to report today. They can't do that. Probably going to get a, a condensed spring training. Who knows what the consequences of that would be. So I think we're getting pretty close to, to that time to worry. Yeah, I think I think you said it well. I am worrying a little bit, but for me, I don't have the same reaction that if the MLB starts late this year or if like most of the season even is missed. Like worst case scenario, we don't even have a season. I'm not in the camp to think that's going to completely kill the MLB. I know in the past it's done some damage, but I think the MLB is kind of slowly dying as is. So I don't think that will do anything to necessarily speed that up, but it is like I do prefer, obviously, for the season to be played. I'd like to talk about something else other than our positional rankings, and we will do that today. We're going to be on our shortstop rankings, but before that, we have one other baseball topic, and that is the TGFBI uh, fantasy competition. The invites were sent out today. Both Victor and I will be participating, not because of our exploits on this podcast, but because we both write over at SP Streamer. This will be my first year competing. Victor, will, will it also be your first? Yes, first year. Okay, so I, I'm curious. We're both we're both first year players here. So I want to start with what is each of our goals, and then also maybe a brief just. I don't want all your strategy. I don't want to give all uh, all your tips away, but maybe just give a little hint of what one of your strategies might be in this year's TGFBI competition. Yeah, I think my main goal obviously is to have fun. Fantasy baseball is all about having fun, uh, but I also really want to put to test how competitive I can be in an environment with other uh, people who know their stuff because I've never done an NFBC competition before I'm not sure if you have so most of the fantasy leagues I have been a part of have been fairly casual uh, not too much money on the line obviously TGFBI isn't a money league but it's it's a status league obviously with uh, how many content creators are in Um, so yeah I think I really want to just test how how well I can play fantasy baseball against the best in the industry. And uh, for strategies, um, I think that I'll be targeting upside uh, in this type of draft more because uh, unlike uh, regular NFBC competitions that don't do waivers, I'm fairly certain TGFBI has waivers. I don't, I don't know if that's, if you could confirm that or not, but um, you could, uh, you could get pretty good value scooping up players after the draft. So I think in the draft, I'll be trying to get a little more upside, a little more game changer uh, type of players rather than being safe, at least at least in the middle rounds and the, the later rounds. Yeah, to be perfectly honest, I haven't looked at all into the rules. I would guess that it's Roto. I would guess that it's standard Roto. And after that, I'm not willing to guess anything about it um, because I, as we've mentioned, it is both our first years. I think for me, Obviously, like you're saying, I want to keep it fun. I also have not ever done an NFBC competition. That's primarily because I have a lot of hesitation around, will it continue to be fun with that much money on the line? I know there's cheaper competitions, but I just feel like taking that step, I'd want to go all in. And I'm not sure, this is just a me personality thing. I really want to keep it fun. And so I'm not sure. And I feel like this is a good entrance into that because it's competitive league. It matters if you do well, because you have to back up what you're putting out there. 
but it's also uh, free for us. So I'm looking forward to it a lot. And I kind of just want to prove to myself, okay, I do know what I'm talking about. I do belong. So that's probably my primary goal. My secondary goal though, ties into my strategy or a strategy that I'm, I'm hoping to employ. And it's kind of something that I've been considering a lot lately and haven't taken the necessary time to really work out. But I have this suspicion that the way we're handling value as an industry as a whole is incorrect. And what I mean by that is we're getting really good at determining actual technical absolute value. We look at a guy like Alberto Mondesi, for example, last year, and just strictly speaking, his value states he should be drafted in the second round. Now, whether that's a good strategical decision, that's a different conversation. But from a pure value standpoint, that's where he probably should be drafted. Now, there's this new wave of thought coming in, and it relates to Mondesi in a big way that starts pushing him up even further, and it's about scarce resources. It's about pushing uh, resources up that are harder to find in other players. And what that's doing is making a premium for players that steal a lot of bases or have a lot of saves, for example, because both those uh, categories are hard to come by. I think that this is a complete flaw in the strategy of how we draft. I do not believe in this concept of relative value. And the best way that I've been able to explain it to myself is, is by simplifying the issue. So if you have one player, let's say stolen bases is a category still. You have one player in the whole league that's going to steal. He's projected to steal however many, 50 bases, but no one else is projected to get a single steal. If you're doing the proper value calculations, which is simply basically taking a Z-score and then adding that to all the other categories, that player is going to rank out as the most viable player because scarcity is already something that is valued in absolute value. It's not something that we have to account for additionally. It's double counting if you do that. So taking a really simple example of only one person that's going to steal a base or two people that are going to steal a base, they obviously would be drafted one and two. And so I think this thing we're doing where we're finding the technical value and then pushing up closers even more and then pushing stolen base artists up even more, I think is a real flaw in the way we're drafting and is creating some sort of efficiency. So I know that's a, that's a lot, and it's not something that I've necessarily proven to myself. So part of what I want to be doing here is seeing, am I right, or are we not really even valuing scarcity like I believe we are? So that was kind of a boring response, really technical response, but it's it sounds weird, but I'm actually excited to see if I'm, if I'm right in this area. Victor, do you have any initial thoughts about this idea? That's a really interesting hypothesis. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure whether... Uh, you, you were able to convince me um, with that explanation, but I do think playing it out over the course of a season, uh, the types of players who only impact one category, especially the players who only impact one category that doesn't help you in other categories, I do generally think that they tend to be overvalued, the closers, the steel specialists. So um, I think it's, it's a valid hypothesis. Yeah, I think what you're describing also has a lot to do with what I would call one category risk, but we don't have time to go into what I mean by that. If you are interested, I love actually talking about this idea of one category risk. So feel free to reach out to me on uh, Twitter and my DMs are open. I will talk to you all day about what I believe to be one category uh, risk, but we have to yes, move go on. flood Josh's DMs, please. <laughs> we have to move on to our shortstop rankings and Victor, 
we're starting to rank the exact same way. I don't know if it's because we talk through these every week or it's because shortstop, you know, it just is an easy position to rank, but our rankings are so similar that the average dis- difference between my ranking and yours is two spots. So we're basically, there's a few players that we kind of disagree on. I don't even really want to focus on those players though, because overall there's just almost complete agreement. So I'm, we're still going to go through it the same way we'd go through it, but we're going to focus on players in a little bit of a different way. Uh, primarily focusing on the top 10 players as we normally do, and also stopping to say a word or two about some of the younger guys. So let's get started. Let's dive right in. As always, we're starting with players. Uh, ranks 30th to 21st, starting with Tampa Bay Rays, Taylor Walls. In 29th, we have Jose Barrero of the Cincinnati Reds. In 28th, it's Didi Gregorius. In 27th, free agent was a Red Sox at the end of last year, and that's why he's ranked this high. It's all my fault. Victor didn't rank this guy. It's Jose Iglesias. 26th, then, is Paul DeJong. I think he might lose his job this year. Just a little hot take I'm throwing out there, but Moving on, 25, we have uh, Ramon Arias, Arias, Arias. I don't know. He plays he's Louis, Luis's brother. He's Lu- Oh, he's Luis's brother. I actually did not know that, but he plays shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. 24th, we have Jeremy Pena of the Houston Astros, someone who literally today I heard on the Rates and Barrels podcast, you know, said he thinks could have a better season than everyone's favorite prospect, Bobby Witt Jr. So a lot of praise there from someone who knows what he's talking about in Eno Saris. That's Jeremy Pena, again, of the Houston Astros. Then moving on to 23rd, Miguel Rojas of the Miami Marlins. 22nd, a guy that was not really on my radar, I have to admit, until I started looking into this, and I was shocked. He looks like he's legit. It's Philadelphia Phillies' future shortstop, Bryson Stott. And then finishing out this range, another young guy, St. Louis Cardinals and Mundo Sosa. So Victor, I want to focus on these young guys. We have a bunch in this range and we have two more that's uh, sneak into the, the range ahead of this, but let's focus on them. Let's focus on Tyler Walls, Jose Barrero, Jeremy Pena, Bryson Stott, and then Mundo Sosa. So starting off, I just want you to tell me who you think's the worst of this group and who you think's the best of the, the young guys we have ranked in this range. Uh, well, going off my rankings, I had Barrero at the bottom of this group. Uh, I still think uh, Barrera could be a quality major league player, but I think his hit tool is a little behind these other players. Uh, Taylor Walls is a tremendous defender, but I also had him uh, right next to Barrera towards the bottom of the list. Uh, I do think Jeremy Pena is a really interesting prospect, has a a ton of power, pulls the ball a ton, uh, does have some strikeout issues, maybe could be susceptible to low bats given how much he pulls and how much he's hitting the ball in the air. But I think as a shortstop who could hit for that type of power, uh, the upside is really high. Mundo Sosa is a really interesting player, kind of an all-around guy. He does a lot of things well, plays defense, runs the bases, puts the ball in play, has decent, maybe decent power. So I think he's kind of a sleeper for maybe a breakout season, as you were alluding to Paul DeYoung, potentially losing his job full-time. And uh, Bryson Stott, had a, he turned a lot of heads at um, the Arizona Fall League with uh, his improved quality of contact, looking like a legitimate shortstop. So I think we'll see him uh, supplanting Didi Gregorius sooner rather than later. Didi Gregorius is someone that barely snuck onto my ranking. I had him 29th and you had him 27th. And that had a lot to do with Stott. Stott is the person I also 
Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say also, I don't believe you, you said you have them the highest. I, it's the person I have the highest in this group. And I, I, again, I am shocked that I even have them this high, but I was looking at the projections for him, even the conservative projections for prospects like the bad X. And I, I'm really stunned by what this, what Stott looks like he might be able to become. And so I'm intrigued by him, but I am, I am now thinking maybe the answer is Jeremy Pena um, after the praise, you know, Saris gave him. And I think calling out Sosa is another good call. So I think those those three are the clear top of the group, and then Barrero and Walls at the bottom. It makes sense. I think we have them in a good order. But let's move on to the range 20th to 16. We're going to get our remaining two younger guys here. Uh, the first of those being at 20th of the Chicago Cubs, Nico Horn, Horner. At 19th, we have Nicky Lopez of the Kansas City Royals. At 18th, we have Ahmed Rosario of the Cleveland Guardians. At 17th, J.P. Crawford of the Seattle Mariners. And then finally at 16th, the other young guy who we both have ranked the highest of the young guys. It's O'Neill Cruz of the Pittsburgh Pirates. My question here, Victor, is how confident are you that O'Neill Cruz will be the top young shortstop of these guys we are highlighting here? Uh, I think in the short term, he has the best chance just because his raw power is so good. Uh, he's going to get to that power uh, in games immediately. He hit a ball 118 miles per hour last season. So I think if I were to pick someone to have the best 2022 season, it would be Cruz. Obviously, I ranked it that way as well. But I will say um, in terms of long-term projection, I could I could see uh, Jeremy Pena coming out a little better. I think his hit tool strikeouts might be a little better. And I also think Barrero has – some really good long-term uh, projection because his frame still not done filling out. He has tremendous raw power uh, on the way, at least that I think as he gets more experience, he could tap into, but Cruz has massive tools. He has the minor league performance. He has the projections. So I think it's pretty easy to rank him ahead of all the other young shortstops for now. I agree. I think you called out that that stat that Max EV he had last year. And I know a lot of people are like, ah, Max EV is not the most predictive stat. And that's correct. But he did it in such a short amount of time, such an eye popping number. It's just like, dang, the fact that that's within there and he pulled it out so easily in such a small sample size. I mean, it might not be predictive, but it is eye catching. And it does point to something that is in there that can lead to future performance. Now, the other young guy in this range, Nico Horner. I don't know what it is about him, but I look at him. He's kind of boring. He is what he is. He's going to hit. He's going to hit for a high average. But I see and I and I look at some of these names that we have ranked below him, some of the names we've been mentioning over and over again here. How many of these people do you think what let's say this? How many do you expect to pass Horner by this time next year? Or do you think that he has the same upside these dudes have? Uh, I think I think uh, next year we'll be looking at Pena as one of the guys uh on the lower end of this list rising through probably stott um not sure about sosa i kind of view him a little similarly to horner sosa has a little more raw pop but i think horner has a better hit tool uh and then barrero and walls i think are i think barrero has much more upside but a lot more downside and i think walls is um going to be mostly in that range as well if he reaches his potential in the mid mid tens mid teens but i do kind of like nico horner i think uh he has a really low strikeout rate obviously he even though he didn't hit for any power last year uh he was able to uh hit 300 i think put more balls in play 
Uh, he had a better line drive rate than we'd seen before. He was able to get to league average offensively. So I think if he could stay healthy, he could be a decent catalyst type of player, maybe something like Nicky Lopez, who uh, we I think we both had ahead of him, not sure, um, or something like Ahmed Rosario with a better glove. So I think he has a chance to be uh, an average player, but I don't see much past that. I completely agree. And so that's why I wonder, I I think I like where we have them now, but I do wonder by this time next year, how many of these guys we will be seeing ahead of him. It could be none of them, but I expect that it will be a few of them. So moving on to this range, and this is where we really have some similarity in our rankings. And when I say that, Victor, I mean, we literally are in complete agreement. You're looking at it now, a difference of zero for all five of these guys. Starting at number 15, we both ranked him 16th, Dansby Swanson. Then at 14th, we both ranked him 14th, Brandon Crawford of the San Francisco Giants. 13th, both ranked him 13th, Javi Baez of the Detroit Tigers now. And then number 12, Milwaukee Brewers, Willie Adamas again. We both ranked him 12th. And then somehow, I do not know how this happened, this whole range, we both ranked Jorge Polanco 11th of the Minnesota Twins. I I don't know if there's anything to say here, Victor. I think we're just correct. I think that's when we just chance into the same ranking for guys in in a range like this, we must just, I think we must just be correct. Would you agree? I think uh, this part of the rankings is more objective than the the rest of the list. But yeah, it might be a signal that uh, we should get some more thoughts on this list. Maybe we're creating a bit of an echo chamber here, but I did, did, find it interesting because I do think people would generally uh, put these players in this type of range, even if they don't order them the exact way we did. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I think you're right. I don't know where the echo is happening within our chamber. I don't hear it, but I think it has to be happening. I think each ranking we do, we become closer and closer to ranking the same way. I don't know if it's all, all your talk about like WRC plus that's just in the back of my head. And now I'm double checking the stat, making sure I'm factoring that. And I don't know. But uh, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think this isn't objectively correct per se. I think this just happened and uh, is a result of us talking to each other a lot about these players. But let's move into our top 10 and we'll reveal them one at a time. Starting at number 10, it's Tim Anderson of the Chicago White Sox. You know, Victor, I was surprised I had uh, uh, Anderson in my top 10. I see him more as a, a fantasy first guy than a real life value guy. But when when I broke it down, I still saw him as a top 10 shortstop was this something you expected going into the rankings did you expect to have him here yeah I thought a bottom end of the top 10 probably would have been where I would have had him and it ended up being um number nine for me so um yeah I'm not really surprised Tim Anderson even though he does have uh, a skill set that's more slanted towards fantasy uh given that he's a low ob or low walk rate guy uh, the, his ability to hit for high averages and hit high BABIPs consistently means that his on-base percentage uh, isn't going to sink as low as a player like Adalberto Mondesi. And he's added solid power to that over time. Um, he's gotten better defensively as a shortstop from when he first came up and was really bad. So I think Tim Anderson's a, a good, well-rounded player and fits at the bottom of this top 10. I didn't factor this in, but we also we have to mention how he is one of the most fun players to watch in the league. He has arguably the best bat flips in the entire league. I wish that was something we could rank him on. And if it was, I think we'd see him even higher. But Tim Anderson at a really good position in shortstop ranks in the top 10. You'll love to see it. 
now, number nine, he's a free agent still. One of two we have in our top 10. It's Trevor Story, future Boston Red Sox. Please replace Xander Pogarts, who we haven't ranked yet, but oh my goodness, I hope it happens. More likely he's going to end up a Yankee because there isn't a Yankee on this list. That might be a little telling, but Victor, do you see Trevor Story's, let's combine his last two seasons into one, his 2020 and his 2021. Do you think that's more indicative of how he will be in the future? Or do you think some of those prior years, let's say his 2019, is more what we'll see from Trevor Story moving forward? Uh, if I had to uh, angle towards which one I th- view Trevor Story as, I think he's a little closer to a league average hitter than what he was doing at the beginning of his career. I still think he could get up to 110 or 115 uh, as his weighted runs created plus, but I think there you are with that uh, WRC plus <laughs> I was talking about. Earlier. I got to drop it every time, you know, but um, I think story probably doesn't have the raw hit tool ability and the power that he, or hit the ability to hit for the power that he used to. I think he's more of a above average hitter than a great hitter like he was early on, which honestly with his defense, his base running, everything else he brings to the table, that's still a really good player. It's just not the superstar that he was maybe two, three years ago. Just real quick, scale of one to 10, how much do you believe in his defense? Uh, I th- I would probably go with the seven. Uh, obviously he had some throwing issues last year, which was, fairly peculiar i don't know if there was an injury involved in that or something but um i do think he has great range he's had a great arm before i don't know uh why it wasn't as great last year but i think that story is going to rebound and still be a really good defensive shortstop and if not he could be probably be a gold glove second baseman with less of an arm absolutely so that's number nine trevor story moving on to number eight of the new york mets francisco lindor You know, I don't really know what to say here with Lindor. There was a time when I thought maybe he was the best shortstop in the whole league. I think that has been proven incorrect. I don't know, though. Am I factoring in too much of the recent years? It's kind of a similar story, if you will forgive me, to story (laughs) where a couple years ago he, he looked real elite. And now he's shown signs of at least times when he can be. I don't I don't know if you want to say league average, but not the player we thought he once was. What makes you more confident in Lindor uh, compared to Trevor Story? We both do have Lindor ranked ahead of Story for what it's worth. Yeah, I think Lindor's defense, obviously, that's not going away. We talked about the concerns for Trevor Story's defense, potentially with his arm. So that's one thing in his favor. Uh, I also think Lindor... Uh, obviously he doesn't have to hit quite as well to bring the same value, but I think uh, last year we saw the beginning of his season, moving to a new league, uh, facing pitchers that he wasn't quite as familiar with going to a ballpark that he probably wasn't familiar with at all. Uh, he was really, really bad the first two months. And after that, he looked pretty much like the regular Francisco Lindor, not uh, MVP contender 2018, maybe, but like 2019, 2017 type of Francisco Lindor. Uh, so I still think he's capable of hitting 25 to 28 home runs, hitting 260 to 270, uh, being the, a great defensive shortstop, getting on base. He had the best walk rate of his career, I think, in uh, 2021. Uh, his plate discipline was perfectly fine. His batted ball metrics were fairly similar to what he was before 2020. So I think uh, the confidence comes from um, believing that he could adjust to playing for a new team because uh, it does it does seem to me like that 
probably had some effect on why you started out so poorly. If you had to draw the line of elite shortstops, would you do it before or after Francisco Lindor? I think for now it will be before, but I, I, I'm pretty confident that Lindor can get back to that level. So if he's, if he comes out next year or I guess 2022 this year, uh, looking anything like the re- the regular Lindor, I would not hesitate to put him back in that group. Okay, so I think then from this point forward, this will be our elite shortstops, if you will, except there is one here that Victor does have ranked behind Lindor, but we'll get to him in a little bit. I had him ranked a little higher, and uh, I don't even really like him, so I'm not even going to defend my ranking of him. I'm going to let Victor have the floor for him when we get there. But before then, at number seven, I'm this dude's probably biggest supporter in the entire fantasy industry. I know that sounds crazy to say, but I think he's I think he's the number one pick this year. And no one's going to agree with me. So I think that de facto makes me the highest guy on him. It's Bo Bichette of the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't know what it is about Bichette, but everything he does, it just screams, I want this guy on my fantasy team. It doesn't translate as well to real life because his defense is a little lacking. He's uh, probably too aggressive at the plate, but I think that Bichette probably marks the beginnings of the elite shortstops. Would you agree? Uh, I might throw Wander in there. I had Wander behind uh, Bichette. You had Wander above Bichette, but basically, yeah, that line would be around that top seven, six, seven um, shortstops. So I think um, for Bichette in particular, he does have, something of a fantasy first profile, but he, he really is a well-rounded player, runs the base as well, hits for average, can hit for some power on base and defense are, are sort of lacking, but um, I think he's, he's a great player regardless. So the top seven is probably, it's an appropriate way, place to put him. I, I wanted to jump in there and interrupt you because Victor, you're spoiling uh, places up here because in number six, if we're, let's just go ahead and move right to him since you already said it, it's Wander Franco, of the Tampa Bay Rays. I guess somehow I came in on the high get guy on Wander Franco when literally last week, Victor said, I am looking forward to the, this is a quote. I am looking forward to when Wander Franco makes the hall of fame. So I guess if I'm even higher on Franco right now, then I must be thinking he's like a unanimous Hall of Famer or something. I, we've got Wander Franco sixth here. Um, and then, and so Victor, I'll, I'll let you talk about Franco a little bit, but I do want to get, uh, before you spoil it, because I've already hinted at it, at number <laughs> five, it's Corey Seager of the Texas Rangers. And now this is the guy that Victor has outside of his elite tier. I have him ranked all the way at third. I don't know if that's some of the... Uh, Scott Boris, is he represented by Boris? I don't yes. know. So it's, I don't know if it's some of that just constantly seeing all the tweets about how great Seeger is, is he was a free agent this year. If that's uh, infecting me a little bit, I don't really like Seeger actually as a player, similar to Machado last week. So I'm not here to defend Seeger. Victor, I'll give you the floor first. I'll let you tell me why Seeger is not an elite shortstop. Uh, it definitely, it's not a talent thing with Seager, but he has missed a lot of time and he's aging off of being a saw being an acceptable shortstop. So I think uh, I put some of the younger guys who I think are better fits to shortstops ahead of him, like Wander, like a uh, Bo Bichette. Um, yeah, I think that's basically where I come out on Seager. And honestly, similar to Lindor, I think uh, a full healthy season, you could pretty easily get back into that, into that elite tier. It's just the way I see it right now. I think Seager's just missed a little too much time 
and falling a little too much defensively to be in that top five range. That's middle infielder on his own team, or would you give the edge to his uh, second baseman? I would probably bet on Seager uh, being better per plate appearance, but uh, in terms of <laughs> nice caveat, yeah, per plate appearance. What factoring in health would you rather have Seager or, of course, we're talking about Marcus Semi? Uh, Semi. I I'd probably prefer to roll the dice with Seager's upside because he. He could be a legitimate MVP type of bat. Obviously, Semyon has been an MVP type of player two of the last three years. But I think when you look at age and pedigree, Seager comes out ahead on both of those fronts. And uh, I didn't mean to bulldoze right over you on Wander Franco and not give you a chance to talk about your Tampa Bay Ray player. <laughs> I'll let you do that now. But I don't know if there's much more to add than the fact that you called him a surefire Hall of Famer last week. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a 45-game uh, on base streak from a 20-year-old rookie is pretty impressive. Uh, we saw him hit basically after his first week where he was still getting adjusted to the big league. So I think as one as Wander ages, gets more plate appearances, more experience, the, 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 the ceiling is unlimited with him uh, just because he can do everything well. His hit tool is so good. He's, he's probably going to walk more than he strikes out. He's going to be a good defensive shortstop. He's going to have some power. Uh, he might be challenging number one uh, this time next year. Absolutely. I think that's well within the cards. Now, moving on now to my shortstop. I wish I didn't call him my shortstop. I love this player. It's Xander Bogarts with the Boston Red Sox coming in at fourth for us. But I was a little low on Bogarts, mostly because I don't want him playing shortstop. And when one of the biggest Red Sox truthers out there is saying, that's not a guy I want playing my shortstop. I don't think we can rank him that high in the shortstop rankings. Yes, he can hit. Yes, he's a stud at the plate, but his defense freaks me out so much so that I would rather have Rafael Devers, who's as inconsistent as they come when it comes to defense. I'd rather him be playing shortstop or, you know, like I said earlier, sign Trevor Story, let him in his defense, which Victor gave a, a seven in the confidence scale out of 10, let him play shortstop. Bogarts to me is future second baseman. Yes, he can hit again, but his defense freaks me out. I, that's really, I think, all we need to say about Bogarts. And so let's move on. Let's move on to our top three. Now, I had this guy fourth. I'm looking at it now, and, you know, you talked about not liking Seager. I think if I re-ranked now, we'd have even more similarities because I think I would rank this guy third. Um, you do have him ranked second, though. That's Trey Turner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Tell me, why do you love Trey Turner, Victor? Uh, he's just good at everything. He's become a really good hitter uh, over the course of his MLB career. Obviously, he's a prolific base dealer. Uh, his defense at shortstop is questionable, but given that he can get on base, hit for power, run, uh, be a middle infielder, even if he's not a dynamic one, I just think that Trey Turner is one of the best players in MLB. And um, probably, I mean, you could argue between him being two or three, I think. Uh, the guy that we're going to unveil next. Good job. I thought you were going to say it. I was I was sure you were going to say who it was. Uh, I had to, uh, you know, keep keep it a little, keep it a, a little hush hush after you went off on me for um, revealing the last guy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> but yeah, the guy ahead of him, I think you could make a case for him. But I think Turner is in that top three for sure. And that that's how I view him. You kind of beat me to my question here. I was going to ask you if you think I was buying more into the free agent Kool-Aid here and was too high on this guy and that Turner should be second. It's Carlos Correa, if you haven't figured it out. 
He's still a free agent right now. He's another guy like Seager. We've gotten a lot of love, you know, trying to up that free agency market uh, for him. I think Correa is really good. I'm pretty convinced that it's going to be him or Story on the Yankees next year. And I would actually, even though I have Story lower, rather it be Correa because I think Correa is a lot more hateable. And that's a quality that a Yankee player needs to have, in my opinion. So I'm going to say, I'm going to go ahead and say future Yankee, Carlos Correa. How does he fit in his new ballpark, Victor? I mean, that ballpark, anyone could hit and you could hit in there. So, well, it depends who's pitching. If it's Garrett Cole, (laughs) then absolutely I could. (laughs) Yeah. If it's any Yankees pitcher, right? Uh, Absolutely. I think think Correa does get a little underrated, uh, particularly in the fantasy community, since his skills aren't. aren't bent towards fantasy in particular obviously we saw some intense wander franco debates on the fantasy on the uh, in the fantasy community today but uh i think he's a tremendous defensive shortstop uh he could hit he gets on base his power is solid uh every time that he's been healthy other than 2020 which was you know short season uh, every time he's been healthy he's been one of the best players in baseball He's a five-win player projections and in his uh, track record. So I think two, two, three, I think that's where he belongs. And then finally, number one, and you kind of, you want to give number one their due, but this one is also kind of so obvious, at least for me. And I I guess that'll be my question for you, Victor. Was this so obvious? It was like, pull up the list right away, typed in Fernando Tatis Jr., San Diego Padres. Number one, was it that easy for you? Yes. He's a ridiculous player. He is a ridiculous player and, you know, he's like as fun as Tim Anderson, but as good as like uh, himself. I don't know. (laughs) You can't really compare him because he's just that good at baseball. I love him. I love to watch him play. I I do have a question of though, how much longer we'll be ranking him on our shortstop list. But for now, obviously a shortstop and you want to talk about on a, on a per game basis. So, you know, ignoring the four (laughs) dislocated shoulders he had last year. I mean, no, it's, it, I don't know how many players in the league, Mike Trout included, are much better than Fernando Tatis Jr. at the moment. Yeah, he's certainly on the short list of best players in MLB, probably ahead of Jose Ramirez, who were, we were praising the other day. Yes, Jose, Jose Ramirez, another guy we love, but I think, you know, you even put these two side by side, I think you, you probably give the no-brainer edge to Fernando Tatis Jr. Would you agree? Yes. All right, well... I think that that's it for our baseball rankings. Hopefully the more um, we continue down this, the more the season seems imminent and it becomes more of a problem. Will we finish our rankings before the season starts? That's what I'm hoping for. But as for now, it's like, huh, will we have to do it twice? (laughs) (laughs) No, we won't do it twice. It's, it's hard work ranking. I, I, it is way harder than I thought it would be. I mean, especially those lower guys that I know, like we have we know so little about the younger guys in particular. I'm like, I have no idea where to throw this guy in the ranking, but I hope you're um, enjoying our rankings, getting some value out of it, specifically the top 10 players. But moving on, moving past baseball, there's another sport and it's peaking here. But of course, we got to wait an extra week. The NFL loves to do this. They give an extra week for the Super Bowl. And instead, it's the Pro Bowl. And we're going to play a fantasy Pro Bowl game. But before we get to that, Victor, someone someone great retired. And, and I've got a thing to say. So this is, this is pre-written, but this is why I've said the goat has just retired from football. Remember, this is coming from a Patriots fan, okay? <laughs> the the goat has just retired from football. Up there with Serena, Phelps, Gretzky, and of course, 
Secretariat got to include, I know he's a horse, but you got to include Secretariat as the greatest athlete of all time. He's annoyingly good looking. He's married to a supermodel that somehow is worth even more money than him. And he's actually funny. And I'm not talking like Peyton Manning fake funny where everyone tells you he's funny and he's only a little bit funny, like a little bit above average funny. But for an athlete standard, that makes him really funny. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actually funny. With Tom Brady retiring, if you didn't, obviously I'm talking about Tom Brady if you didn't figure that out. With Tom Brady retiring, I wanted to take a moment as a diehard Patriots fan. I already said it, but I, I want to say a quick prepared word. Well, three words, three words I have. Three words that come to mind about Tom Brady's retirement. First, coward. Tom Brady is a coward. Why is he retiring? Why now? He's still an excellent QB. This isn't Big Ben or Peyton Manning who couldn't throw the ball even 20 yards down the field in their final year. Brady's last throw was literally a 50-yard strike to Mike Evans for a touchdown. And this dude's retiring. You got to ask, why is he retiring? It's the same reason that he left New England to begin with because Brady is obsessed with proving that it was him and not Belichick who was the reason for the Patriots' success. And Honestly, I might be leaning a little bit towards Brady, even though I am team Belichick. If you can't tell, I'm a little mad at Brady right now. But Brady, of course, what does he do? He sits there, he goes, you know, I won a Super Bowl with the Bucks last year. All these people that saying, oh, Brady's going out on top. If that were true, he would have retired last year and he wouldn't have signed a contract extension. What Brady is doing is saying, oh man, these Bucks, we're on a downward trajectory. And you know, those New England Patriots and Bill Belichick, they're on an upward trajectory and I can't risk it. I cannot risk them having a better season than me. I can't give a possible data point that I am not the reason for the success, even though, I mean, he is part of the reason, but the point I'm making is Tom Brady is a coward. So the first word, coward, Tom Brady, coward. Now, second word, entitled. Tom Brady is entitled and in a bad way. You know, when you say, oh, that kid, he acts so entitled. Tom Brady acts entitled. Oh, uh, no, I'm nowhere near ready to make the decision on what my future holds. That's Tom Brady via his dad. You know, after the media leaks out that Tom Brady is going to retire and not what days later, not weeks, days later, he retires. But Tom Brady is out here trying to tell us, oh, I'm not close to retiring. Why is he doing that? Because Brady wants to be the one himself to break the news because he's the GOAT and he believes he deserves that. Brady is entitled. Third word. I can't actually say the third word, but if you want, (laughs) if you want to hit, if you want to hit. Um, and I'll get a little mathematical here. I'm not going to make it too clear for you, but take the median letter in the alphabet and subtract that from weight divided by gravity. You're probably not catching my drift, but if you do, you know the word I'm saying. That's what Tom Brady is. When Brady finally announces his retirement, he included eight pages, page upon page, multiple paragraphs per page, paragraph after paragraph, thanking people. You know how many times he mentioned the Patriots? Zero, zero thank yous for the Patriots. He had the audacity to say thank you to the Bucks over and over again. Thank you for taking a chance on me. Brady, the Patriots took a chance on you. If it weren't for the Patriots, you wouldn't even be in the league. And to all those people saying, Brady thanked the Patriots two years ago when he left them to go to the Bucks. This isn't Brady leaving the Bucks. This is Brady retiring from the NFL. Brady has to mention the team that he won six Super Bowls with. He has to mention the Patriots. And to not do so, that makes Patriot or that makes Brady fill in the blank. That's the word I'm going for. Brady, the three words. Brady is a coward. Brady is entitled. And Brady is a fill in the blank. 
I mean, the this I, I, I don't have much more to say. His retirement says it all. That's Tom Brady, everyone. All right, Victor, what do you think? You think uh, Brady, you know, say your Brady piece. I don't know. I'm mad. <laughs> Clearly, uh, I like that voice, too, trying to impersonate his dad. Um, <laughs> I think there, there was a podcast where Brady mentioned uh, Giselle really wanted him to retire. So there's probably some. No, no, we're not doing this. I don't want any of your reasons. He would have retired last year. I'm telling you, he would have retired last year. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not there with them, but uh, I do think it's funny how um, on the day Brady retires, like imagine two or three years ago, Patriots fans being upset about Brady retiring. Uh, probably, probably couldn't imagine that. But I do. You, it does sound like you have some legitimate grievances. I'm what? not sure how he didn't mention the Patriots in his goodbye. I was pretty mad at him before he didn't do that, and I think him not doing that has turned a lot of Patriots fans temporarily on him now. Well, I still watch now that it's com- well, it's not completely out. We're still waiting on the last episode while I still binge Tom Brady's self-produced documentary about himself. Absolutely. I will. I- I'm going to do that because I, I kind of still love the man. But right now I'm mad at you, Tom Brady. Well, you brought you brought me much joy. But right now you're you're undoing it and it's and it's happening quickly. But I just had to say that I had to get that off my chest. We can move on from that. I'm not going to make you defend Tom Brady. <laughs> but I do have to say it. it, it is silly that I've been, I, I can't wait. I'm still going on this. <laughs> it is silly that I have been on the, the wrong side of history, defending this man, defending Tom Brady. And like the day I, I am enlightened and I switch over to the other side is the day that everyone else goes to the dark side. What is that? Oh, not acceptable guys. Brady is a coward. All right. And you know, those other words. Did you, did you, did you catch my third word at all? Victor? Is I, it... I'm going to have to think about that a little more to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah, I, I I thought about saying like what it rhymes with, but I didn't want to make it too too obvious, you know. Gotta make, <laughs> gotta make the listener work a little bit. Also, maybe you know distract from some of my weaker points. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that wasn't my strategy. Okay, let's let's do this. We're we're trying to stay on a schedule here. Let's do our NFL Pro Bowl contest. It's gonna be a standard fantasy contest. Two QBs, two running backs, two wide receivers, one tight end, four points, passing touchdown. It's a one point PPR, no tight end premium like our other fantasy football competition. It's going to be Victor versus me versus the leftover players. We're going to take the best possible lineup of the leftover players and see if that beats Victor or I's lineup. So we're kind of competing against two different things here, Victor. Now, Victor picked this competition this time. I just want that on the record because Victor said last podcast <laughs> that I should be winning because I'm the one, you know, creating the contest. This was Victor's <laughs> contest. So just want that on the record. I guess let's start with here, Victor. Did you put in any prep and will you be watching the, the Pro Bowl anyway? I definitely won't be watching the Pro Bowl. Same. <laughs> but um, I did minimal prep. I think uh, we agree that it's probably going to be random on who does well and who doesn't what, who doesn't do well. Uh, it's going to probably just come down to who plays the most, which is pretty hard to guess since all these players don't really have much to play for. So... Um, yeah, I think we're just going going off our gut today. All right, you want you, you think we should probably do snake draft, or is that weird with just two people? Uh, you choose it. I, I mean, do you think a snake draft would be more fair? I think literally it's going to be random. I think that the, the best of the rest lineup, just because they have those extra players, is going to beat us both. <laughs> I put as much prep in here as I will end up watching, which is – Basically none because I will only be watching if I see on Twitter that Mac Jones is in the game. So 
<laughs> that's more than I normally watch though. Okay. But let's, let's do snake draft. Do you, do you want the first or, or the second, third pick? I'll do is two, three. All right. So I'll start off first. Uh, I'm going to take Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I know I, 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 the reason I, I, I don't have one. He's good. That's my reason. I'm taking Patrick oh. Mahomes as my, as my first quarterback. I think, I think maybe the, the, the stress of the, in the bigness of the game last week got to his head a little bit. He could have opted out, but he wants to play. I think he wants to play some fun football again. I'm worried mm-hmm. about him trying to do a trick throw and throwing a pick, <laughs> but I'm still going to take Patrick Mahomes. Fair enough. Uh, I think my first pick, I'll go with Najee Harris. Uh, my reasoning being Dang. he's a rookie, so he's probably more excited about this game than a lot of the veterans who have been here or have been in the league a little while. And I think that might be a reason where he plays a little more than some of these other running backs who are better. Uh, and then my second pick, I'll go Justin Herbert. Similar reasoning, uh, second year player. Uh, tremendous talent. So I th- I'll go with the young guys as my first two picks. You know, not in a single part of my 10 second prep did I just consider the reason you or sorry, did I consider the reason you just laid out? And now I'm, I'm scrambling to figure out the rest of the, <laughs> the young players, because that is a compelling reason. That is compelling. I, I did have Najee Harris highlighted mostly because now he's not playing behind a terrible O-line and he's probably also not going up against um, D linemen who are going to try it and be like blowing people up. So I think Najee Harris, he's going to enjoy some space and we're going to see, we're going to see some nice plays. So that honestly I, was uh, in consideration for my top pick. Now I get two picks in a row here. I'm going to, I'm going to pair it up. I'm going to stack it. I'm going to stack Tyreek Hill with Patrick Mahomes. And this is simple. And actually I probably would have picked, I'll probably pick, let's, let's move Tyree Hill to my next pick. So we'll leave my, my second pick a little bit up in the air. Tyree Hill is my third pick. I get to do that. Okay. okay. And I think, I don't think um, much of these quarterbacks in the AFC, I mean, Mac Jones deep threat receiver is Nelson Aguilar who literally created an interception by not jumping for a ball in the playoffs. So I think there's these QBs that haven't got to experience what Tyree kill is. And I think whatever QB is on the field with them, they're going to take at least one huge shot at him, you know, just see what the speed is like, see what a deep threat is, see how far they can throw the ball. I think if that connects, that's some serious points. So I'll take Tyree kill with my third pick. I'm moving back to my second pick. I'm going to take the best wide receiver in football, Cooper cup. It's as simple as that. He's the Is best fan. Isn't he going to the Super Bowl? Oh my goodness. Did I just do that? Holy crap. That was horrible. I don't even know how I just did that. Okay. <laughs> We're, I'm not cutting this out of the podcast. I cannot <laughs> believe I just did that. I got, I got, that's how little prep it was. I was like, well, let me just take him because he's the best. <laughs> you can see, I was like, I think Hill's the best. And I was like, oh wait, Cup's on my list. But I forgot to take Cup off because he got replaced, I think by Mike Evans. But I'm not taking Mike Evans. I'm going to take, I'm going to go off the beaten path here and try and guess a little bit of Victor's logic here. I'm going to take, oh my gosh, am I going to do this? <laughs> I'm going to take Hunter Renfro. <laughs> I, I think he's gonna i think he wants to play right he's kind of like the odd the odd one out when you look at this list i think especially the wide receivers especially the wide receivers i think he's a guy that's going to thrive from it not being a more physical game i think the same reasons you laid out for why the young guys are going to want to show up i think hunter renfro will he's he's kind of disrespected as far as the receivers who did well this year victor would you have even picked hunter renfro 
Oh, I definitely had him on the mind. He he definitely fit the criteria of Najee Harris and Herbert a little bit. So I, th- I, I respect it. I think it's a good pick. Uh, so my turn, I'll go Justin Jefferson and Debo Samuel, uh, continuing the young guy trend. I feel like uh, the way the, the Niners last game ended, Debo might want to show out a little bit. And even when guys are um, going full on trying to tackle him, they can't get him down. So in a game where they aren't even trying to tackle him, Debo might never hit the ground ever again. I mean, that's really interesting because I use that as a reason to cross Debo off my list. I think he's a guy that thrives from physicality, from not being able to be tackled. I don't think that's how the Pro Bowl is played. Now, granted, have I watched the Pro Bowl in the last five plus years? No, I don't really know what happens these days in the Pro Bowl, (laughs) but I'm pretty sure they don't hit each other very hard. And so I I don't know. I don't know if Debo will, will like want to really go all out. And I actually have the same reasoning for another player. Well, I'm kind of spoiling it. His teammate, George Kittle. Who, I mean, <laughs> if you want him, Victor, I'll let I'll let you have him with the last okay. pick. I'm not picking Kittle. I think they these two players they thrive on physicality. That gets them going on game day. I could be wrong. They I I see them as gamers, but maybe they're just like good all the time. We'll find out, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I don't even. I'm not even tracking my picks. I believe I I have my two wide receivers, which was probably a mistake. <laughs> um, and I have one of my quarterbacks. I. I'm going to go next with another guy. I'm going to use this disrespect logic. He's a touchdown machine. I don't know if that will carry over to the Pro Bowl. I'm going to go with James Conner. I don't even know if he's healthy, to be honest. I don't know how often he'll play, but I'll take James Conner as my first running back. Is that the first running back chosen? Oh, no, second. I'm taking James Conner. See, I'm taking some really weird picks. (laughs) And then uh, with my other pick, I'll go with, Oh man, who do I want? You took my other running back that I wanted. I don't even really know who I wanted the remaining bunch. I guess I'll take Jonathan Taylor and let's flip, mm-hmm. let's flop those two picks around to make it look better. <laughs> May, okay, I didn't disrespect Taylor by taking. Are you even tracking these? What, what's the need to look better for? Um, <laughs> no, I'm not tracking. I, I'll, I'll, I'll try and when I'm listening, write it back down so we can figure out who won next week, but I'm taking, I'm taking Jonathan Taylor and then I'm taking James Conner filling out the running back. So I've got my receivers, my running backs and one of my QBs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have Herbert at QB Najee at back and then, uh, Je- Jefferson Samuel two receivers. So here I'm going to go with Alvin Kamara and um, this is a tough one. I'll go Kamara and Pitts. Yeah, taking tight end is pretty risky, but I think Pitts is – he doesn't get used like a tight end. He's super talented. He fits the young guy criteria. I just think, you know, he might – score a touchdown or something i don't know do they even score touchdowns in the pro bowl or is this the same rules as football i haven't watched it in years <laughs> i mean i i don't know i i couldn't even tell you what the skill challenges are this year so <laughs> the skill challenges are pretty good and i'll watch I was just those. about to say that's that's i have a far more likely chance of watching i'll probably watch like the highlights on youtube or something after <laughs> but uh yeah i'll get i'll let you take pits I, I can't believe i told you you could have kittle if you wanted and pass him up i thought you're you know you were kind of sticking I know I get it. He's the young guy, the young guy logic. I, I'm a little stuck on the Kamara pick. If I'm being honest, I think he's another guy that thrives on physicality, but uh, we're we'll at least give us, we're being a somewhat consistent. We have some <laughs> logic with our picks here. Now here, here I am. I get to pick my two final picks. I'll take my tight end Mark Andrews. 
Um, so that leaves the two best tight ends, Kittle and Kelsey, for the for the the best of the rest team. That's a little scary there, um, Victor. Mm. But now for quarterback, I've got one quarterback left. Now for me, the top choice, the guy I have highlighted in green on my list here, is Kyler Murray. But there is another quarterback, <laughs> I and it's Mac Jones. And how do I not <laughs> draft Mac Jones? I've been avoiding my second quarterback, hoping you would take the quarterback are hoping you would take Murray and making this decision easy on me. My problem with Mac Jones is there's somehow four AFC quarterbacks. I think what happened is they were afraid that Burrow or Mahomes would opt out and they needed a quarterback to quarantine for the Pro Bowl. And so they brought Mac Jones there. Then Mahomes ends up wanting to play. Now they have this, what do they do with Mac Jones? So like, ah, whatever, we'll let him play. <laughs> I mean, I, how about this? I'm going to forfeit my pick. I'll let you pick your pick and then we'll come back and I'll reconsider my, my final right. guy. I guess I'll take Kyler then if, if that'll help you out. A wow. Little bit. You're going to help me out. I thought just out of pure <laughs> cruelty, you were going to make me suffer a little more, but thank you. You take Kyler Murray. I'm giving him to you and I will take Mac Jones. Now that makes, I'm just going to list the remaining team here. They get the best, the best two out of Lamar Jackson, Kirk cousins and Russell Wilson. They get both Nick Chubb and Dalvin cook. They get the best of Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. And then they get the best two of Stefan Diggs, Deontay Johnson, and Mike Evans. That's a kind of scary team, Victor. We let them get some good players. What's your team? Uh, so my team, uh, you let me have Kyler, obviously, Justin Herbert, uh, Najee Harris, Alvin Kamara at running back, Pitts is tight end. Uh, and then what was it? Jefferson and Samuel at receiver. So Obviously, with a Pro Bowl, we're going to have to give up some good players to the to the third team. But I think we made some wacky picks. I think we had a little fun with this. Absolutely. I figured you might as well have, have some fun. I, I mean, big asterisk if you win this competition, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, Victor. <laughs> I'm going to put it on the board with the rest of them and value it the same, Josh. If I, if I win, I absolutely will also be doing that. <laughs> but we have less of a chance of winning now because we have this super team we're going up against mm. of our own making. But my team is, I don't really remember, so I'm just going to take a shot. Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, Mac Jones. I've got, oh, see, I'm already forgetting. I took Cooper Cup. I shouldn't have taken Cooper Cup. Victor graciously, I didn't even ask for permission, though, graciously let me make another pick. I took Hunter Renfro second overall, technically, because I actually took Hill, but moved him to the next pick. So then I've got Tyreek Hill. And then for my running backs, I've got James Conner and Jonathan Taylor. I only picked Taylor so as to not piss people off for picking James Conner before him. So I don't know that, that I don't, that was horrific. I would be impressed if we get anybody who is upset about this segment of the show. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to play that. I'm going to play, I'm going to hold my tongue. If you don't have anything nice to say <laughs> about the person, don't say, don't say anything at all. If you're getting upset about our pro bowl fantasy draft, I mean, that is, you probably got really upset at some, some other points in the show. We're, we're taking it even more seriously, but that, that is our, our show. We're going to close here, but as always, what we've been doing now is we're going to say what we are looking forward to in the next week of sports, a little bit of a tricky, tricky week here. And I'll go ahead and start. I'm looking forward to a break from sports as weird as that sounds. <laughs> I love sports. I will not be watching the pro bowl unless I, again, I see that Mac Jones is playing, especially if he's on the, the field with Tyree kill, I'm going to be looking for that 80 yard touchdown. But what I'm ultimately looking for 
is just a break from sports. It, it wears on you. It's a, it's a 24 seven thing. It's a burden, Victor being a sports fan. Is a burden. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. It's absolutely not, but I am actually looking forward to a break. What about you? Yeah, I'm looking forward uh, to uh, hopefully more labor negotiations, even though obviously the discourse has been toxic, the negotiations themselves have been painful to follow, but I think getting any type of news this weekend will be good news. Well, maybe not any type of news, but getting uh, some headlines, people writing about it, talking about it, uh, more meetings. I think any of that type of stuff is going to be good news. For some, for some reason, I had the suspicion that you were going to pick the dodgeball game in the, in the Pro Bowl <laughs> skill challenge, but you came at me with way more serious answer there. <laughs> coming at me with the, with the labor negotiation talks. I mean, come on, man. That's so nerdy. What the hell? <laughs> no, I, I'm right there with you, but that's our show this week. I think it's probably the most off the rails we got, especially towards the end. I, I didn't even know what to say at points for our Pro Bowl draft, but I'm looking forward to how this results shake out. I'm looking forward to try and piece the story together via box score instead of via watching the game as usual. But as always, you can find both of us on Twitter. I'm at UT Streamer. Victor is at AwesomeVictorAA. On your way out, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to rate the podcast. We say it every week, but only if you're giving us five stars <laughs> should you be rating the podcast. If you're going to give us any less, that means you have some form of criticism. Feel free to pass those criticisms along to us. Um, maybe not publicly, but via <laughs> our, our DMs on Twitter. You can find us both there. Um, I mentioned the, the handles earlier. I won't repeat them, but make sure to do that. Leave a positive review. As always, thanks for listening and sound those victory trumpets. Victory trumpets.